In 2011, I was invited to exhibit in Rio de Janeiro. I wanted my work to comment on the landslides that had affected the poorer communities and the favelas where over 200 people had died and more than 15,000 had lost their homes. The exhibition was in the middle of a business district where there was little interest in all of that. In London, I'd just been to St. Paul's Cathedral where people were protesting about the inequality of wealth distribution and the corporate influence over government. And I was already thinking about this in terms of what I wanted to do in Rio, where I'd been invited to make an installation. I didn't want the work to be polite. I wanted to carry the conversation into the gallery where most of the audience were going to be rich socialites. And I wanted to make a direct commentary on the differences between the haves and the have nots and the border or interface where the two might meet. So there was an element of observation in the work underpinned by my own past experience. I had something specific in mind, and for this, I would need lots of old tables. But when I got there, I couldn't find any. So I was taken into the favelas, to the workshops, to find what I wanted. But there were just these old chairs. So I decided to use them instead, and the idea changed. The work I eventually made was a much better piece, and that shift was in part due to available materials, but also through my journey into the favela. I was reacting to circumstance, and there is something about this way of working that I'm drawn to. The politics of using current events combined with personal references and local materials. I really identified with this piece. So my experience of Rio was very different from most tourists. I wasn't going to the beaches or to pool parties. There was very little time to find the equipment that I needed. Even battery charges were hard to find. And so by the time I was ready to start, and by the time I realized that my initial plan wouldn't work, I had to react immediately to the materials I had and what I could do with them. There wasn't time in the moment to reflect on my presence within the piece. And it was only afterwards, through working on the publication Civil Unrest, and by making a second installation of the piece in London at Trinity Boy Wharf, where I was reflecting on illegal migration, that I began to tease apart where I was in relation to the work. In fact, civil unrest goes back to my own memories of being in Panama as a sailor just after the American invasion in 1989. It was only through experiencing the work that I came to realize this. I have this experience of being chased by an angry mob and of trying to escape into the cathedral, but they just came in after us until with our backs against the altar, there was nowhere left to go and the crowd just seemed to keep on coming. It could have gone either way, but just at that moment, the doors to the vestry were flung open and the priest, along with some cleaners brandishing brooms, entered the church and held the crowd off whilst we were ushered out the back and into a van. We got away, but at that moment, I believed that I might be killed. I'd seen others attacked. The human condition is at the centre of my practice, and I relate that directly to my own experience. So it is place, movement, materials and politics that act as the signifier. The work is coming from a place that wants to understand trauma. Whenever I make a piece of work, I assume that an audience could have had a similar experience, not necessarily something as extreme as what happened to me in Panama, but a moment where one feels fear or just threatened. For me, it is not as literal as being at a border control. That's just what is happening at the moment. But people have described feeling threatened by the desperation of people running towards their cars as they wait to cross the channel. Instead of feeling empathy, they feel frightened for their own safety. 
But these are people who must be desperate if they're willing to risk their lives in this way. The chairs in Rio were retrieved from so-called less privileged neighbourhoods. So in some ways, there is what one could call authenticity about how these chairs were accrued. I imagined that the chairs were made and fabricated in an industrial environment. People bought them and they became located in more affluent areas. Later, they are discarded and they end up back in the favelas. I tried to broker these two spaces, these very different realities, by putting them into the gallery at the heart of the city, returning them to where they came from, but with all this history totally transformed. Only the chairs, rocking and stamping, connect the two areas. I'm thinking about all these things as I start. In Rio, as time was short, I hadn't the time to resolve them, all the problems that became apparent during the private view. In the first instance, I had to get the chairs to jostle against each other. I had a number of motors which I attached to each chair leg. The rotating arm caused the chair to rock back and forth. The motors are old windscreen wiper motors, hard wearing and built for endurance. If I then connected this chair to two others using cable ties, they begin to jostle against each other. And if I make one of the chair legs slightly longer than the others, then the rocking becomes more pronounced. All the chairs are very different in character. Each reflects its own history. And the idea is that these chairs, a jostling mob, will confront the guests as they arrived at the private view. A viewer can't avoid the chairs as they take over the whole space. And so immediately there is a situation of them and us being enacted. In Rio, there were still some unresolved problems. The chairs moved forward over the time. Remaking the work at Trinity Boy Wharf, as well as addressing a different crisis in a different country, also offered the opportunity to resolve this. So that the chairs were no longer able to progress forward and through the introduction of simple elastic bands, the chairs could be more finely balanced. Smaller motors could then be used and the installation could be made to operate using motion sensors. By physically making and installing the work myself, the piece evolved. The simplicity of the elastic bands stretching, becoming taut before relaxing, seemed to embody something of the situation. I hope that the issues that I'm tackling aren't trivialized by being pared down to just chairs. I haven't been in their situation, but I've been in my situation. And I think about this as I make the work, as I balance the chairs, as I staple the elastic bands to the floor. These actions seem to relate to the experience, to the tension, both physically and metaphorically. I begin to think about migration, the passage of trade, the notion of boundary or of border control, where we ourselves become objects of trade bearing passports, which reveal the type of goods we are. Through the publication of my conversation with Faisal Abdullah, I began to explore both my fear and fascination with the changes that can overtake normally civilized people and the triggers that can make a peaceful crowd explode into something other than civilized. Fear of the unknown of what might happen can provoke the most intense anxiety. It can control both our actions and also our inaction. It's a fine balance. It can be a very useful way of controlling us. Crowds of people behave unpredictably and that in turn provokes fear. Civil unrest alludes to my own experience of the unpredictable nature of mobs. I wasn't conscious of this at first. It was only through experiencing the work that I came to realize this. 
And sometimes I think, should I even be talking about migration? But what is happening at the border is something I am interested in, particularly as I've spent so much time on the move myself. It's both a current example and something that's happening all the time. If it weren't for the border issue, it would be something else. It's our fear or my fear that interests me. And this is just the trigger for me to try to understand what it means to be civilized and how this can be lost in a particular type of situation. Here is a moment when everybody acts together, when everyone behaves differently. Rather than being actually a specific event, it's the tipping point. This space between reality and representation has been at the back of my mind as even 26 years later, I still carried that experience with me, even today. And so I keep making this piece, the conversation changing, depending on the situation and how I install the work. I want civil unrest to sit uncomfortably with the viewer so that I can go into this sacrosanct white box on the edge of the docks facing the Millennium Dome and walk into the space. I can experience this thing and yet I can choose to close the door and walk away. I know it's still going on in that place, but it's secure. It is in an environment that only a few people are privy to, and that's what the real experience feels like. It feels like me knowing in a conscious state that at the other side of the world, or sometimes only 10 minutes away, there is somebody going through that turmoil manifested through my sculpture. I wanted the space to actually highlight the plight of this very public situation with people. The emphasis was not being placed on the countries and governments where these people were coming from. It was the people themselves that were being blamed. Nobody would get on a boat without any food and water because they want an easy life or because they want free state money. It's highly improbable. These people are leaving genocide, they're leaving rape, they're leaving so many things. And to leave is necessary evil in order for them to preserve their form. Identifying with the traumas that the migrants were undergoing is probably what triggered my understanding of the civil unrest piece. The venue as well as that dot with the water coming in, where trade was going on with people and movement. There have always been these migrations, people being wrenched from one place to another through necessity or pressure. It's never going to stop. Anyone who's been caught up in civil conflict will have strong memories of it because it's not an everyday situation. It's a boundary or line driven by strong emotion and it is unpredictable for that reason, fed by fear and adrenaline. But I think there can be humanity too. I was watching the news at the time and the police were stopping people from pushing forward, stopping them from breaking through. But then somebody lifted their baby and passed it forward and the police reached out and took the baby across the front line and into safety. I think of it in quite a traumatic way because what we th think of as filmic is actually happening in reality in real time whilst we might stand or sit or drink a double espresso on the other side of the globe there are people being waterboarded there's somebody trying to climb a fence trying to hand their child over to safety i had that story for an hour am i going to make it past this angry mob but it could be true of somebody else's life all the time. And that motion, that repetition of the chairs makes it clear. And just as these forms are always making the same movement and the same sound, it is a reminder that things could just stay the same.